0: Greetings. One must not get one's knickers in a twist.
1: any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so they won't be any more like him. So today we are talking about the legendary Rosa Parks. Now Rosa Parks was never striving for fame or glory. She just wanted to do what was right. And I think it's very relevant with what's going on at the moment with the Black Lives Matter campaign that we highlight the struggle that has been going on for a long time and we use our voices to get justice the clip that you heard at the beginning of this podcast is from a film documentary called i am not your negro it came out in 2016 and i very much recommend that anybody watches it it's incredible it's true it's not fabricated um it's history so please go and watch this film For those of you that follow me on social media, you'll be aware that I do support the Black Lives Matter campaign. I just feel like it's the right thing to do to use this platform as a source for good and a source to educate people on the history of Uh, the black struggle not only in the US but in the UK as well and all over the world so I'm going to start by doing this episode on Rosa Parks and I will absolutely love to hear people's personal stories Um, as a as a white man I will never understand but I will stand beside you you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, and you can find me on Facebook. The links are plastered everywhere, so please do come and follow me. Uh, send me a message, we'll get chatting. It will be lovely to hear from you. Rosa Louise McCauley was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, on February the 4th, 1913. She moved with her parents, James and Leona McCauley, to Pine Level, Alabama, at the age of two, to reside with Leona's parents. Her brother, Sylvester, was born in 1915 and shortly after her parents separated. Rosa's mother was a teacher and the family valued education. Rosa moved to Montgomery, Alabama at age 11 and eventually attended high school at Alabama State Teachers College for Negroes. She left at just 16 early in 11th grade because she needed to care for her dying grandmother and shortly thereafter her chronically ill mother. In 1932, at 19, she married Raymond Parks, a self-educated man 10 years her senior, who worked as a barber and was a longtime member of the National Association of the Advancement of Coloured People, the NAACP. He supported Rosa in her efforts to earn a high school diploma, which she eventually did the following year. Raymond and Rosa Parks, who worked as a seamstress, became respected members of the Montgomery's large African-American community, coexisting with white people in the city, governed by Jim Crow. Segregation laws, however, was fraught with daily frustrations. Blacks could only attend certain, inferior schools, could drink only from special water fountains, and could borrow books only from the Black Library, among other restrictions. Although Raymond had previously discouraged her out of fear for her safety, in December 1943, Rosa also joined the Montgomery Chapter of the NAACP and became the Chapter Secretary. She worked closely with Chapter President Edgar Daniel Nixon. Nixon was a railroad porter known in the city as an advocate for black people who wanted to register to vote and also as president of the local branch of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters Union. On Thursday, December first, 1955, the 42-year-old Rosa Parks was commuting home from a long day at work at the Montgomery Fair department store by bus. Black residents of Montgomery often avoided buses if possible because they found that Negroes in the back policy was so demeaning. Nonetheless, 70% or more riders on a typical day were black and on this day Rosa Parks was one of them. Segregation was written into law. The front of a Montgomery bus was reserved for white citizens and the seats behind them for black citizens, however it was only by custom that the bus drivers had the authority to ask black people to give up a seat for a white rider. There were contradictory Montgomery laws on the books, one said segregation must be enforced but another, largely ignored, said no one person, white or black, could be asked to give up a seat even if there were no other seats on the bus available. Nonetheless, at one point en route a white man had no seat because all the seats in the designated white section were taken so the driver told the riders in the four seats of the first row of the coloured section to stand in effect adding another row to the white section the three others obeyed parks did not people always say that i didn't give up my seat because i was tired wrote parks in her autobiography but that isn't true i was not tired physically no the only tired i was was tired of giving in Eventually, two police officers approached the stopped bus, assessed the situation and placed Parks in custody. Now, before I go any further with the Rosa Parks story, I think it's very apt that we mention a 15-year-old girl who came before Rosa Parks who did exactly the same thing. Who is less well remembered. So her name was Claudiette Colvin. In March 1955, nine months before Rosa Parks defined segregation laws by refusing to give up her seat to a white passenger, 15 year old Claudiette Colvin did exactly the same thing. The problem arose because all the seats on the bus were taken. Colvin and her friends were sitting in a row little more than halfway down the bus. Two were on the right side of the bus and two were on the left and a white passenger was standing in the aisle between them. The driver wanted all of them to move to the back and stand so the white passenger could sit. He wanted me to give up my seat for a white person and I would have done it for an elderly person but this was a young white man. Three of these students had got up reluctantly and I remained sitting next to the window, she says. Colvin told the driver she had paid her fare and it was her constitutional right to remain where she was. Colvin was arrested and instead of being taken to a juvenile detention centre Colvin was being taken to an adult jail and put in a small cell with nothing in it but a broken sink and a cot without a mattress. Colvin was the first person to be arrested for challenging Montgomery's bus segregation policy so her story made very few local papers but nine months later the same act of defiance by Rosa Parks was reported all over the world. Although Parts used her one and only phone call to contact her husband, word of her arrest had spread quickly and E.D. Nixon was there when Parts was released on bail later that evening. Nixon had hoped for years to find a courageous black person of unquestionable honesty and integrity to become the plaintiff in a case that might become the test of fidelity of segregation laws. Sitting in Parks' home, Nixon convinced Parks and her husband and mother that Parks was the plaintiff. Another idea arose as well. The blacks of Montgomery would boycott the buses on the day of Parks' trial. Monday, December fifth. By midnight, thirty-five thousand flyers were being sent to homes with black school children informing their parents of the planned boycott. On December the fifth, Parks was found guilty of violating segregation laws, given a suspended sentence and fined ten dollars plus four dollars in court cases. Meanwhile, black participation in the boycott was much larger than ever optimists in the community had anticipated. Nixon and some ministers decided to take advantage of the momentum, forming the Montgomery Improvement Association, the MIA, to manage the boycott, and they elected Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., new to Montgomery and just 26 years old, as the MIA's president. As appeals and related lawsuits winded their way through the courts, all the way up to the US Supreme Court, the Montgomery bus boycott engineered anger in much of Montgomery's white population, as well as some violence. Nixon and Dr. King's homes were bombed. The violence didn't deter the boycotters or their leaders and the drama in Montgomery continued to gain attention from the national and international press. On November thirteenth, 1956, the Supreme Court ruled that the bus segregation was unconstitutional. The boycott ended on December twentieth, a day after the court's written order arrived in Montgomery. Parks, who had lost her job and experienced harassment all year, became known as the mother of the civil rights movement
0: the story of the negro in america is the story of america it is not a pretty story
1: i think there's no better way of ending this podcast than hearing from miss rosa parks herself
0: i left work on my way home december 1st 1955 about six o'clock in the afternoon i boarded the bus downtown in montgomery on Cote square as the uh, bus uh, proceeded out of town on the third stop the white passengers had filled the front of the bus when i got on the bus the rear was filled with uh colored passengers and they were beginning to stand the seat i occupied was the first of the seats where the Negro passengers uh, take as they, on this route. The driver noted that the front of the bus was filled with white passengers and there would be uh, two or three men standing. He looked back and asked that the seat where I had taken, along with three other persons, one in the seat with me and two across the aisle was seated. He demanded the seats that we were occupying. The other passengers very reluctantly gave up their seats, but I refused to do so. He then called the officers of the law. They came and placed me under arrest and I was bond bailed out shortly after the arrest. And The trial was held December 5th on the next Monday and the protest began from that day and it is still continuing.